The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, we are beginning a, a new series today. So if you're with us today, you're with us on the first Sunday of a new series, uh, Generations of Grace, Isaac and Jacob. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. And we're going to Genesis chapter 25. You can find that on page 19 of a Bible in the Purack, or if you have a different Bible, maybe one of those Bibles, the page number's there. But the book of Genesis means beginnings. And we're going back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 25. Now, uh, many of you perhaps remember the old Sunday school song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. We are going back uh, to the book of Genesis uh, and to the life of Abraham, but as that life passes on to second and third generations, his sons Isaac and Jacob. So, uh, just by way of introduction here, I want you to think for a moment about why Abraham is such a significant person in the history, not only just of the Old Testament, but of all of the scriptures. Why is Abraham so significant? And it's because God originally revealed himself to Abraham and his family. So, the church, the church was first the family of Abraham. The church was first the family of Abraham, and then the church became the nation of Israel, and then, even broader and a, a broader scope, the church became the people of God from every tribe, tongue, and language. But the church has its foundation in the family of Abraham. So the story of the family of Abraham is our story as the church of Jesus Christ. Because the church was first the family of Abraham. So, we are returning back to the book of Genesis. So, if you could possibly remember, 10 years ago in 2019, we, you didn't catch that, did you? <laughs> we spent a solid eight to nine months in the book of Genesis in chapters 12 through 24, outlining the life of Abraham, the first generation patriarch, and the promises that God gave to him. Today we go back to the book of Genesis to continue the story of God's faithful covenant, calling this Generations of Grace, the life of Isaac and Jacob, as we look at the second and third generations of Abraham's family. And this morning, to orient us back to the book of Genesis and get us ready to go back to that narrative and plug back into that story, we want to get caught back up to speed and remind ourselves about the significance of this story just here at the point of generational transition and ask the question, what is the significance of Abraham's family, and what does it mean to be a child of Abraham? Because that's just not a relevant question for the Old Testament. It's a very significant question in the New Testament as well. Are you a child of Abraham? So what is the significance of the family of Abraham, and what does it mean to be a true child of Abraham, is what we're zeroing in on today as we return back to the story of God's covenant grace in the book of Genesis and the lives of the patriarchs. So, if you've got your Bible open, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures as we hear it together. Gracious God, we pause now to say that we love You and we love Your Word. We're thankful that You've given to us the Bible by divine inspiration to us without error. So we pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit, who so inspired Moses to record these words for us without error, that the same Spirit might rest upon our minds to illuminate us and give us understanding rest upon our hearts that we might receive inwardly by faith the things that you have given in your word and Lord that you would by your Holy Spirit cause us to receive and rest upon Christ alone as he has offered to us in the gospel so Lord 
Would you please bless to us the reading and hearing and proclamation and reception of your word, we pray. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. And now, hear the word of God. Genesis 25, under the heading Abraham's death and his descendants. And we'll hear the first 18 verses. This is the word of God. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashurim and Letushin and Lemunin. And the sons of Midian were Ephath, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Ilda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days, the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in the good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave at Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahairoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Naphish, and Kidimah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt and all the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God abides forever, so may he write its truth upon our hearts today. So, yes, you're thinking just like me. That's a lot of names. That's a lot of names. That's a lot of people. So, every family has stories. Your family has stories. Those are stories that you both tell of your generations, the generations now living as you gather together and say, remember when, and you tell those same stories again and again, and you delight in those things. Or perhaps you tell the stories of generations long since past that have come down through the successive generations to say, this is the story of our family. That's good. It's right. It's a beautiful thing. I remember, uh, I think it was my grandparents' uh, 60th wedding anniversary, and we gathered together at one of my aunts and uncles' house, and at one point, they made the intentionality of having my grandfather tell the family story, as it were, but record him doing so. And at the time, I was a young man, and all I knew was, why do I have to go outside and stay outside for six hours and only play outside so I don't come in and ruin the recording? All I knew was that I was not allowed to disrupt what was going on in here because the story was so important. Now, at that point, I didn't appreciate it, but I tell you what, at this point, I would do anything to go back and be able to listen to that story because I don't have access to it. But family stories anchor our identity and they shape us. And the same is true of the biblical family story. So as we encounter all these names, we might be tempted to just pass over them as just some names that are hard to pronounce. 
But these are the names of the story of the people of God. And as a result, they are our story. And they represent a passing on of God's covenant faith and faithfulness across the generations that have come all the way here to Edgington. This story is our story. And so it matters deeply to us. So what should we say about it? Well, what we're not going to do is we're not going to, we're not going to camp out on the details necessarily of Abraham's death and his transition because we finished that when we were last together in Genesis 25 in 2019. But what we will do is start to ask the question, how does this story move from one generation to the next? So I want you to notice, first of all, this name Keturah in chapter 25, verse 1. After the death of Sarah... Abraham's wife for many, many years. He took another wife, and scholars are divided as to whether or not he would have taken that wife while Sarah was still alive or not. But for the sake of argument, let's suggest that Sarah has now died, and Abraham has taken Keturah, and Keturah bore him additional children. Additional children. And this very picture is the fulfillment of what God promised Abraham back in chapter 15, Genesis 15, when he said, Abraham, you will no longer be called Abram, but will be called Abraham because you will be the father of many nations, the father of many generations. So even the very fact that there is this list of all these different names is the fulfillment of God's word to Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham, as the stars are in the heavens and the sand is on the seashore and the dust is upon the earth, so shall your offspring be. And there you have evidence of it right away. But notice, notice in verse 6 that Abraham treats all of his children except one a particular way. In Genesis 25, verse 6, we find that Abraham gives gifts to his various children. Verse 6, it says, But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. That is to say, he blessed them. He provided for them. In a sense, he gave them a share of their inheritance before he died. This is yours. You can have it. And Abraham bids them farewell as they depart eastward. These children, all of these children, were sons of Abraham according to the flesh. And the blessings that he gave to them were common blessings. Or we could call them common grace blessings. The generations of Ishmael, for example. And when you see all of these details of who Ishmael is in verse 12 and following all the children that Ishmael bore, this is because God is fulfilling his promises to Abraham, to Ishmael, that Ishmael would have a, a multiplicity of offspring. And all these names are fulfillment of that very thing. You could go back in chapter 16, verse 10, and see God promising to, uh, to Ishmael that you will have these various generations, and there they are. But these generations, all these sons, all these difficult-to-pronounce names are not the focus, actually. Can you see that? All these names are not the focus because it says Abraham gave them gifts, blessed them, and sent them away. But there's a more narrow focus. And the reason why there is a more narrow focus is because of what the story of Abraham is all about. The story of Abraham isn't ultimately about Abraham. It's about Abraham's God who called out one man and said to him, I have a plan for you and for your life called my covenant. 
And by the promises of my covenant, I will bless you with three things. We rehearsed these again and again and again multiple years ago. They are the promises of land and seed and blessing. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I will give you this promised land. And I will give to you an inheritance of nations. And children will come from you. And I will bless those who bless you. God promises to Abraham land, seed, and blessings. Actually, come back with me in chapter 17 and let's see this together. Genesis 17 is where we find this really solidified, this Abrahamic covenant as God promises to bless Abraham. Now read with me in Genesis 17 at verse 1. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for, and note this word, an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Abraham was a man called by God. Chosen by God. Issued this Abrahamic covenant with promises for land, seed, and blessing. And the story of the Abrahamic family is the story of the people of God. Who will inherit the land the new heavens and new earth, ultimately, who will have a multitude of nations joined together into this divine society called the church and who will receive blessings upon blessings in Jesus Christ. But that's what the purpose of the Abrahamic covenant is all about. So, as you go back to Genesis 25 and we, we move through those various names, we instead focus on one name. Notice in Genesis 25, Verse 5, this detail that Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Isaac is the promised son. Abraham's son, Isaac, is the promised covenant son, the long-promised son. Do you remember Abraham received a promise at 90-something years old that he would have a son? And God tells Abraham, Abraham, by your wife Sarah, you're going to bear a child. And Abraham essentially says, I don't think, Lord, you understand how all of that works. I don't think that's going to happen. And God says, yes, you will. By my word, you will have a son. Sarah struggles to believe it. And so she, you know, connives a plan to have Abraham bear a son by Hagar, her servant, which is where Ishmael comes from. But all along, God says to Abraham, no, Abraham, my word is sure. My word is true. And I can do whatever my word promises. Abraham, you will have a biological child with your wife, Sarah, and his name is Isaac. So Isaac is the next generation of the line of the covenant. Isaac is the one who inherits the promises. Again, in verse 5, it says, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Again, to his other children, he gave good things, but he sent them away. Probably so that there would be no fighting over this very point. That the land belongs to Isaac. The land promise and the covenant belongs to the covenant child to Isaac. He gave everything. Think about this for a minute. If, 
if this was in accord with worldly birth order, Abraham would have made the wrong decision, right? Because Ishmael's older. And it's always the case in the ancient Near East that there is a, a progeny, a progenitor. The first birth order gets everything. And everybody else gets the rest. But here you have the second born son getting everything and everybody else getting what's left over. Now listen, Genesis 25 is not in the Bible to be to you an example of equitable estate planning. Okay, that's not the point, right? The point of Genesis 25, if you were to follow just this, is to guarantee that your children might despise you. So what's this about? Well, in verse 11 we have the answer for that. Verse 11, it says, After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac. As God had blessed Abraham throughout his life, so the blessings of God are flowing by way of the covenant to the covenant son, Isaac. It's a clear statement that's intended to emphasize that the story moves along with Isaac. Again, it doesn't seem right on the surface, but it's according to God's sovereign plan. Because Isaac is the heir of the covenant promise. Abraham's actions, therefore, are not the actions of an unwise father preferring one son over another, but Abraham's actions are the faithful response to the promises of God. So what should we learn here? What should we begin to understand about God's covenant and the way that he relates to us, his people, according to this? Well, there's several things. But we should know for sure that God's covenant blessings... The fact that in there in verse 11, God blessed Isaac. God's covenant blessings do not come to us because we earn them. They don't come to us because we deserve them. They don't come to us because God prefers us over someone else. Because Isaac doesn't do anything to deserve what Abraham gives him. In fact, just by birth order... He should have been passed over. It is not the case that God's promises advance by way of merit or achievement in us. What is happening here is that God's purposes, His covenant purposes, His plan of salvation advances on the basis of His wise, sovereign providence. And for no other reason. It is not the case that Isaac is better than Ishmael, more attractive than Ishmael, more intelligent than Ishmael. It has nothing to do with merit. It has everything to do with God's covenant. So, can you see what this teaches us about the gospel in this picture? That the covenant of grace, whereby God bestows his blessings, is on the basis of grace. Because God in his sovereign providence chooses to issue grace, but it's all of grace. Loved one, you don't earn grace. You don't deserve grace. You don't work up enough merit to achieve grace. You aren't seen in the front of some imaginary line to be more deserving of grace than the next person. Grace is what grace is because it is sheer grace. Absolute mercy. And you and I, don't we just struggle to understand that, don't we? Because you and I are so hardwired to say that the things that I have, I possess them because I earn them. I've achieved them. I have my right to them. You and I are wired that way. But you know why we're wired that way? We're wired that way because of the fall. 
God's grace comes to us as sheer grace. And for as many attempts that we have to say, yeah, but it's because I did something, the answer is no, it's not. It's because I'm really great or really handsome or really good looking or really attractive or smarter than my brother. No, it's not. And you know what? All that's actually good news, isn't it? It's not bad news, it's good news. So it is just here at this point of covenant transition, of generational transition, that we can see from the text that there are two different kinds of sons of Abraham. There are two different kinds of sons of Abraham. There are sons that, according to the flesh, really and truly Abraham's children by biological lineage, right? Really his sons. But then there is another kind of son of Abraham. There is a son of Abraham that is accord with promise. A son of Abraham according to grace. A son of Abraham according to the covenant that is different from just a son of Abraham according to the flesh. Or to use the illustration, there is Ishmael, a son according to the flesh, and there is Isaac, a son according to covenant, a son according to promise. And it is the sons according to faith, covenant, promise that are the true children of Abraham. Now you would think to yourself, well that just matters for the Old Testament, and you might be right, except for the fact that this is the very point upon which Jesus so often disagrees with the Pharisees in the first century. In fact, if you were to go to John chapter 8, you would find Jesus interacting with the very teachers of the law who were the caretakers of the tradition of the Old Testament, insisting to Jesus, we are the true sons of Abraham. And they thought that because they were Jewish. So they said, we're Jewish, and our Jewishness makes us the true sons of Abraham. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, you're not. You are not true sons of Abraham. You're actually sons of the devil. That's what Jesus says. You wonder why he riled them up so bad. They said, we're really Jews. We are the true sons of Abraham. He says, no, you're not. You are children of the devil. Jesus tells them, if you were truly the children of Abraham, then you would do what Abraham did. And Abraham is principally called the man of faith. And those religious leaders didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't receive Jesus, didn't trust in Jesus. And so Jesus says, you're not Abraham's two children, because if you were, you would believe in me, Jesus says. But you don't. And so you're not. The Jews rejected Jesus. They didn't believe him and demonstrated that they were not the true children of Abraham. So who are the true children of Abraham? Come with me into the New Testament, will you? Into the book of Galatians? Come with me to the book of Galatians. Go past 1 and 2 Corinthians to Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, you can find that on page 973 if you get a Bible in the rack. Because the answering of this question, who are the true children of Abraham, matters... Because it's essentially asking, who is it that receives the salvation of God? Galatians chapter 3. The Jews in the first century thought that they were the true children of Abraham just because they were children of Abraham according to the flesh. But it has never just been about the external. It has never just been about biological lineage. It has never just been about the flesh. It has always been about one issue, and it comes out in Galatians 3 at verse 7. Look with me there. Galatians 3, 7. Paul writes, Know then that it is those of what? Faith. Who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What Paul is saying there is that the covenant that God makes with Abraham is the gospel. Isn't that a beautiful sentence there? That Abraham had the gospel preached to him beforehand. That God was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to Abraham thousands of years before Jesus was incarnate. The gospel was preached to Abraham. And that gospel was that those who believe are the true children, not just of Abraham, but the true children of God. And those who are the children of Abraham who truly believe it is they who are, in verse 9, they are the ones who are blessed. The true children of Abraham, not according to the flesh, but according to faith. So what is the point of application then for us as we get ready to launch into this successive generations of grace and seeing the life of Isaac and seeing the life of Jacob and onward into the generations of God's covenant? The point is, is that throughout the question will be asked of you, are you a true child of Abraham? Not in the sense of do you identify externally as Jewish, because as far as I know, I don't think there's anybody here that does. But the point of that is, is someone could be deceived into thinking, I am a true son of Abraham, externally only according to flesh, which is the exact same thing as saying, I'm a Christian, obviously, because, well, my family's always been Christian. I've always come to this church. In fact, I've always sat in this pew in this church. But do you know what the gospel says to you about that? It is not that which makes you a Christian. What is it that makes you a Christian? What is it that makes you a true child of Abraham? What is it that makes you an inheritor of the blessings of God's covenant of grace from all time? It's one thing. It's faith. Faith in the true son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. So what you and I are going to do, Lord willing, is we're going to trace this storyline of God's grace in Genesis through these successive generations, all the while remembering that these generations of grace are the generations of the gospel, which is the same gospel that you and I are called to believe today in order to be the true sons of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ, the only Savior. You know, some people think that the Old Testament is boring. Some people think that the Old Testament is irrelevant to the Christian church. But dear friends, the Old Testament is the foundation of the gospel and the very story of the Christian church. So uh, I'm excited to go on this Generations of Grace tour with you. And by faith, let us all be true sons of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give to us your word that we might know our own family story. And we pray that you would give us the wisdom and insight by your Holy Spirit to locate ourselves within that gracious story of your covenant, which gathers together people from all different nations and backgrounds and ethnicities and all sorts of differences into one people in Christ. So, Lord, would you please bless your word to your church here in Edgington that we might be a faithful people for Jesus' sake, we ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington
epc.org. May God bless and keep you.